Welcome back to the No Mulligans podcast, where we're here in the studio at Franklin Bridge, and uh, we just finished an episode talking about uh, just how much dopamine hits we get in the day and just the constant noise and stuff. And I think uh, it's just so refreshing to sit here in the studio and just like look out at the uh, at the pitch black driving range at this point and just kind of just acknowledge the nature around us. You see, you're saying that you Maybe. took out a book at the library just on uh, yeah on nature stuff. I, I forgot how cool. much I loved like the solar system and studying. Like, oh my do you God, understand yeah. how small we are? Like, there's this weird sense at the top of the mountain. You're like, man, I accomplished this. But in the very like sitting right next to that, you know, we've talked about like holding two emotions together at the yeah. same time. Like you can be yeah, confident yeah, yeah. and nervous all in the same moment. Right, right. You're like, yes, and at the same time, you're like. I'm this big. Oh, I know. Like, I'm nothing. I'm just uh, I like think when I when I die that. one day, like I'm gonna be forgotten about. Yeah. Very quickly. Right. In the terms of, you know, time. Yeah. Like, I'm so small. The universe is so <laughs> freaking big, and I can see so much of it up here. It's just a. It's cool. You know what's interesting about that? And, I mean, we could probably have a whole podcast talking about this. But, like, I think what's cool about that is some people get scared at how big, like, the universe is. And there's a certain amount of that that's probably sits there. I had some of that. Well, like, to me, I find it comforting almost. Mm. Like, just because it's like I, I, I truly. We're the only living things out there. Well, I don't believe that. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It's like I feel comforted knowing that, like. We're not the only ones out there, and like there, there's it's so funny. much more beyond. I what feel I comforted knowing that we are the only ones. Like, fair enough. We're cared <laughs> enough to be here. Like, if we are the only ones, and who cares if we're not the only? Like, I'm not yeah. in charge of all that. Like, well, all this UFO stuff that's come along in the last. Hey, day. hey okay. uh, I have a funny story for you about that after the podcast. Uh, we'll, we'll do like I think it'd be Rebecca fun. and I saw something fly in one time, and oh, I'm really? not a conspiracy theorist at all, but I'm like. I think it would be... We saw this black... I'm just going to tell you to you now. <laughs> we saw this black object. We were flying southwest. It looked like it had to be, like, at most a half mile off. But it was just, like, holding still. We were above the clouds. It's just holding still in a singular place. Just this black. Damn. Like, I wouldn't call it, like, the traditional UFO shape. Sure, but sure. it's just, like, this black blob. object, blob, just <laughs> sitting there. And it was in front of the wing as we we're looking at it. And as we're going by, we both saw it. That's the that's the weird part. It wasn't like I just saw it and told her about it or right, she just saw right. it and told me. I saw it and then she's like, you seeing what I'm seeing? I was like, yeah, are you seeing it? And so we both look away and we're about to tell somebody else and we look back out there. It's gone. And it's gone. <laughs> what is this thing that was in the sky? So, so I don't funny. know. For all you uh, UFO conspiracy theorist an unidentified flying object doesn't mean that it's from outer space either like it's unidentified we don't know what it is anywho that's a sidebar and anyway. it'd be fun to do like an episode where we just talk about like that stuff. whatever whatever so we want to talk about <laughs> um uh, what but, were we talking about well i guess i'll do a little uh, intermission here <laughs> to go into what we're going to talk about but thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast it really means a lot and i think uh we always talk about hey like give us a five-star rating or a review one thing i want to challenge you guys with is that if you guys have found uh, value for this podcast at all in, in the entire time that we've been doing it, would you just mind shooting it to a friend and be like, hey, you know, like, 
you're a, you're a golfer. I'm a golfer. I thought of you when I you know was listening to this. Just like tune in for a little bit. That'd be really cool. So we really appreciate you guys just uh, sharing the podcast. It means a lot. And whenever we do the big uh, back porch episodes where we would blow it out and have a bunch of people, it's really refreshing to see like you know a hundred people on the back porch who listen to this podcast. Meanwhile, right. it's just three of us in an empty bay here in the studio. <laughs> right. right. Uh, so that's really cool. Thanks guys a lot. But hey. Talking about something, we haven't done like a technique episode in a while. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this has normally been like a podcast to talk about like the mental side of the game, but we're going to be talking about wedges. And some swing theory generally, I think, is needed. Well, let's, Those are always popular, let's right? Let's dive like, right in then. I don't like doing it, but I guess I need to. Um, so Scott Spector was up here Yep. Um, this week. I haven't seen him in person for over a year. We've done a lot of FaceTime lessons, and once you get to, like, I've been teaching him for almost seven years, right? Yeah. So, like, once you get to know somebody's game, like, you can kind of. You don't really have to be, like, You don't have there. to be there all the time, yeah, yeah. and he's done well in a lot of his senior tour qualifiers. And well, and think about some of the, the tour players, too. Like, they, they probably don't see their coaches in person the majority of the yeah. time, right? Because they're traveling yeah. all the time. He shot 59 at Chateau Alain earlier Insane. this year. Yeah. <laughs> like, playing with some young guys, too, and they're razzing him now. Like, hey, we got that tournament coming up. You going to shoot 59 at the yeah, tournament? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, um, no, that's pretty cool. So, Anywho, uh, hey, before you get started, really quickly, because uh-huh. I was in here while you were giving him his lesson. Yep. And it's really cool because I've gotten to see you, um, you know, give lessons to a bunch of people who are picking up the game or maybe, you know, just are kind of average golfers. You know, average golfers, yeah. 20 handicap. And then, like, when you give a lesson to me, it's just like it's way more technical and I appreciate it a little bit more just because it's number one, it's me, but number two, it's just super technical and I really enjoy that. And then I come in here and watch you with Scott Spector, and I'm just like, yes! I finally get to like, ha- like see you do a lesson with somebody a super that's high level super player. high level. Yeah. And it was just refreshing to see that. And so I'm excited to get into this episode because a lot of people are never going to see you teach a, a lesson like that. And I think that's something no. that people should at least have uh, knowledge of what goes on in some well, of that. And I'll say this. not Most teachers can't span the spectrum. They can't Fair. go from teaching a – uber beginner all the way to teaching a high level player Mm. equally well yeah um and that's something i strive to do Uh, i obviously i have my fortes and my my strengths but i try to make them all equally that well yeah and uh you know what's really neat is (coughs) the hardest part when you're at at the top right so like i'm gonna be at the top here like nobody's gonna come over me from an uh, instruction standpoint sure yeah ever while we're here yeah no kind of the end game for me so what's holding me in check. And so as long as I'm asking the right questions and I think I have people around me to help keep me humble, help, help me ask those tough questions. Like Brooks is, is very helpful in that. Um, and have other people I can converse with that helps. But for me, it's like asking the right questions. And so just trying to always be aware of like, are there little habits and ruts I'm getting into as a teacher? Um, are there, are there habits and ruts that I'm getting into as um, with certain groups of people? Am I teaching too many people to draw it? Am I teaching too many people the same hand action? Am I teaching, like, am I getting stuck in forms that are not helpful or is that actually what's needed? So, like, asking those types of questions is good. Um, and there's something that's changed in my teaching philosophy um, and Scott Spector got to catch a piece of it while it's evolving. So rarely does somebody get to be a part of 
seeing that change and to be able to present it to a player at that level shows the level of commitment to the thing that I'm shifting in my teaching philosophy. Yeah, that makes sense. So it wouldn't be out of the question for me to experiment with something like that with somebody that's kind of an average golfer just to see if it fits. Yeah. Um, but for at Scott's level, you can't take that chance, right? So you can't take that chance to that you're wrong, right? You just got to do it right. Well, and I think the other thing with Spectre, too, is like you've – you know his swing inside and out, so you can afford to take those risks just because you know that you can revert it super quick just because yeah. you know how, how yeah. who he is. The um, the fun part is, like, he's got strong opinions about what he needs to do, but yeah. he's still very coachable in the right. You just have to know where is he coachable. And that's how <coughs> – and that's I feel like that is a theme with higher-level players too because they've had success doing what they're doing that you're trying to get them to – do something else, right? And that that opinion matters totally. Except when the opinion's wrong, and that's when you get a good. Uh, that's when that I think that's really what separates good coaches and bad coaches because you got got to know when to put on the gas and when to hit the brakes a little bit. Well, and it was uh, to tie back to the previous podcast a little bit about us doing that whole hike out there in Colorado. Like one of the peaks that I decided to stay back on, like because my confidence was down lower about doing it, and I'd already decided I wasn't going to do it. Well. Erica's confidence was going up. I knew Elijah was going to do it. And so at that moment when a coach realizes his confidence doesn't exceed the person he's helping or the person who's in his team, right? Like maybe you're not trying to help him. You're just all on the same team. When that confidence is going to pull the that group down, you have to back away. Oh, dude. So there's uh, wisdom in this. like learning to, hey, I knew it was time for me to step back and let the two of them run free. Uh-huh. It's like, hey, I can't carry you any farther. I can't be a part of you. You guys have to go. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah, yeah, totally. And and uh, relating this to real estate a little bit, we're always taught when we're um, when we're going into a, a listing consult is you have to be confident at what the house price is. Because if you're not confident, then the other person will tell you what they think it's worth. Right. And it's – I think the, the parallel to, to the golf here is just that when – this is actually like a study that happened, is that when – two or more people are together, the person who is the most confident in what they have to do, everybody else will follow because of just the sheer confidence that that person has. Correct. So if you have a Whether they're home, right or wrong. Correct, correct. That's the danger. That's the key. That's the key. So as uh, for me in real estate, I've got to be um, I've got to be super confident in what I believe that price will be worth or else the other person will stomp all over me and tell me what they think it's worth. This is why in us prepping for those mountains, we have we were considering taking a fourth person, but we had been wisely advised not to go more than three, and uh, in multiple resources, both in a written form and a book called um, Colorado Fourteeners Disasters. So it's just kind of help you like like why do these things happen? There's always a reason, and the reason why you don't take four is as soon as you get to four, the weakest person and the strongest person may or may not influence that entire group. A lot of times a stronger player will not see the weakness of the other player or the other hiker and bring yeah. them along with them. Not only put the person who's weaker or not ready in a position that's dangerous for them, but as soon as you put somebody in danger, it actually puts the whole group and potentially other people in danger as well. Makes sense. So we didn't take four. We went three. <clears throat> and so Now does that change if you go to like five? 
Or is you, it just or is four? Well, kind that's of where that Sherpas come in when you're doing really big stuff. Sure, right. Sure. They have the wisdom to know. Yeah, we're when we turn around, we're turning around, regardless of whether you think you can go and the whole group thinks they can go. If I decide as the Sherpa we're going down, we're going down. Yeah. And you want to keep going, you can, but that's at your own peril. Bye. I'm bringing the whole group down with us. Mm. So most of the time, everybody goes okay, with them. Okay, fair, fair, fair. Right, but we weren't in that situation. So, but anywho, where are we going? I have no idea what I'm Wedges. talking about. Uh, so Gosh, hey, we might have to cut wow, some of that. How we get? Um, <laughs> that's okay. So, but there's this evolving piece of my teaching philosophy that came through an unexpected angle. We've done a lot of women's teaching and coaching this year. So, anatomically, women are different than men in in several categories, not just in the chest, but in particular, they typically have a lot wider hips. So, initially, when we first did clinics this year, I taught my standard. The thing we've always taught, like you start with your feet together, the ball's even with your back foot. Like that's pretty much what everybody teaches for a low basic chip. Well, I found a lot of our ladies couldn't chip well doing that. And like you're watching from behind and watching how they rotate, watching from the front, watching how they rotate. Like they're way out of balance because the bottom is narrower than the midsection. Like you don't see very many uh, like high-rise buildings that are fatter in the middle than they are at the bottom. That's a great point. They're yeah. all wider at the bottom. And in wedge play, you need to be very stable so that the center of that motion is in the same place so you can make solid contact on every single swing. Right? Like That's the most important part of wedges is solidness of contact. So we have to maintain that. So I'm looking at that going, all right. So then you start stretching your own teaching philosophy a little bit. It's like, all right, I'm just going to widen their stance here and see what happens. All of a sudden, they're able to maintain control of where their weight is, which means they can control where the bottom of the swing is, which means now we can deal with the hands and arms. Like, you may be trying to get them to rotate around a little bit to the left or let their arms swing to the left. Well, they couldn't do that if they're a, like an unbalanced top that's like wobbling all over the place. So the the working theory is, and I have some other teachers, I'm like, so, like, we go with a narrow stance, they're like, yeah, I mean, unless you're hitting a pitch, it's a little wider, but I was like, well, why do we teach it narrow? Well, to hit it lower, I was like, okay, I got that. We can hit it lower by just moving the ball back, which I normally don't like doing, right? So, like, that's a piece I like to maintain a singular ball position and change the trail foot. Um, but in this particular situation, I'm like, well, the answer has typically been, well, that's just what we've always taught. Yes, it helps a more descending Which blow. Which is so dangerous in any in any right. uh, uh, any teaching or, or profession. And if the ultimate answer is like that's the best thing to do in most situations, then cool. That's totally. Fine. But you can prove statistically and through data that that is the best thing to do. Right. But if it's just saying, oh, that's what we've always done, just to say that's what we've always done, yeah. I feel like that gets dangerous. Well, and the, the typical answer is like you get a more descending blow. You make sure you make solidness of contact. I was like, yeah, but the stance is narrow. Like, so we stand people open, like, see, there's different variations of an open stance to help you work left. Like, okay, but it's still too narrow. And so I watch people struggle to hit wedges solid. And then I'm thinking about, okay, well, we do that with, so I started shifting that in all of our ladies stuff that we did this summer and the start of this fall. And so literally this last week and a half, we've been doing that. And right before we left for Colorado, and I was like, hmm. And looking at Scott hitting wedges, and he struggled to hit him solid into the grain here. He hasn't played on Bermuda in a hot minute, a few months. And so we're not hitting him solid. I'm like, all right, we've been working to get his weight off of his heels. That's fine. We got that. That's in place. I'm not worried about that. 
He's still not hitting him solid. I was like, Scott, widen your stance out. I said, I'm catch you're catching me in an evolution of my teaching philosophy, and that is that the the minimum width of the stance, with the exception of a specialty shot, there's always an exception, right? The minimum width of the stance is that the center of the ankle or the heels of each foot need to be at least the width of the center of the hip joint. So you think about a lady who has a 40-inch, or, you know, don't just measure waist, but Not actually waist, measure hips. the hips. Yeah, yeah. Like, right around that hip joint. I mean, that can get into 50 inches wider, and that doesn't mean she's overweight. It's just, like, you have wide it's, hips. It's the hips, yeah. And so, plus they also typically have smaller feet. Now, how does this parallel to, um, to like, when people say shoulder width apart? Why, like... That's just what we've always right. We've it, just what always, we've always said, said, right? Right. But like, how would you describe that to somebody who's actually playing this? Would you say, from where your foot naturally, well, think about a lot where of your leg naturally hangs down. Think about think about ladies. If we say shoulder width apart, well, a lot of them their hips are just as wide, if not wider, oh, than yeah. their shoulders. So yeah, like, yeah, yeah. if you say shoulder width apart for a female, they're going to stand up there and have all this weight in the center, and they're going to wobble all over the place. Yeah, yeah. So you've got to be able to control where that mass is in the center of your body and so the feet are actually going to need to be wider so then i went <coughs> so we had a couple of ladies today um i've got i mean if you look at their stance width you think they're hitting like a seven iron or a or a six iron like that's how wide their stance is yeah wow but they're able to make the movement so much faster than I was able to make earlier this year. I was actually told uh, the group today, I was like, man, y'all are either great students, A, which I think that's a part of it. We had some great ladies here. But I think, but I said, or B, I'm getting better at doing this. And I guess for a, uh, your spot on there, and I think it, to relate it to the men, I've, uh, the women are, who are listening are probably like, either standing up from their desk or like as soon as they park their car, they're going to look, they're going to try and do this. But like for the men, I feel I'm doing this. I'm standing up right now is for the men. I feel like a way to probably feel how a, a female would feel this is to put your feet exactly together. Right. Because and then, then try and make a chip and then try and make that chipping motion. It's just like, Oh wow. Like I'm, I'm about to you fall can, over. You can rotate just yeah. fine. But you're not stable. But you're not stable. Right. Right. So just widen the feet, which for us men is probably Shoulder width. I'm putting parentheses around yeah, it yeah. or uh, quotations around it. Yeah. But so yeah, where, that's so, so where much you're at right there more is solid is pretty pretty standard there. So if another way you could measure it, assuming you're not like super knock kneed or bow legged, would be if you were to draw a line from the center of your hip joint through the center of your ankle from a face-on view, like I'm looking at you right now, like you're hitting a shot away from us that way. Right, So if I'm looking at you face-on, looking at the front half of your body, your feet, if I measure those lines, those lines should be slightly like uh, Eiffel Tower-esque at the bottom. Right, So they should be the bottom should be slightly wider. It should be vertical to slightly wider. Mm. It should not be, if I drew lines down your legs, they should not be inward. Right, So even though I have really narrow hips, like if I stand this way, which is typical, you'll notice that my legs are actually inward inward yeah so the bottom is narrower than the, the top. fat part of the triangle is at your waist instead of at your feet correct yeah so you want the fat part of that triangle it doesn't at have to feet. be a triangle it could be just straight up but it cannot at the very minimum it has to be straight up parallel to just a hair wider mm -hmm. yeah 
Now, where you can mask it is people will lean their weight forward. Now you can't really tell whether that bottom's too narrow or not. But you can tell what, when somebody goes to hit a wedge shot. Like, if you watch me do this right now with my stance slightly too narrow, if I go to hit a chip shot, where do my hips want to go? Yeah, behind They go you. backwards yeah. because they're trying to stay balanced because I know I'm going to get my chest and my arms in the right place. You know, it's so creates some instability in yeah. the contact. And well, people are like, well, that does, does it really matter for me? Absolutely it does. Yeah. And at Scott's level, maybe we're only talking about an average of like, let's say it's only every wedge shot. We'll include bunkers, chips, pitches, 50, 60, 70, 80-yard shots. So like anything under – 80-yard shots. Um, if we're looking at that piece, maybe it's only three to five feet closer on every chip, yeah. which doesn't sound like a lot, right? Oh, it is. <laughs> but, like, if that bunker shot goes to 15 feet, if it goes to eight instead of 15, well, that make percentage goes from less than 30% to 50. Yeah. Right? So at his level, that's the difference between shooting 67 and 70. Yeah. Right? Yeah, no And kidding. it's just – Maybe it's a 20-foot putt or a 25-foot putt that's now 15. The make percentage is higher, right? You do that enough over the course of enough rounds, that's going to catch you on the positive. What I was going to – I was saying this before the podcast started. I told you I was just, like, saucing my wedges recently. Like, just they're awesome. And what I've noticed – and I think this is – we always talk about this, the athlete in me. I try – I let my instincts take over more than I do textbook by the book is – I feel like a lot of teachings will say, well, put the ball further up in your stance or further back in your stance, depending on how you want to hit it. Okay, if I want to hit something super low, of course I'll put it back. If I want to hit something super high, of course I'll put it in the front. But for anything that's, let's say, like, you know, 30, 40 yards, I'm putting that ball smack dab in the center of my stance. And I've, I've, I've been, like, trying to figure out why, because I've, it's all been based off solidness of contact, not necessarily teaching perspectives or philosophies. And... It's a, now that I'm thinking about it, it's exactly what you're describing. It's just the stability. And where do I have all my feels? In my fingers and in my hands. So if I set up my base correctly, it doesn't necessarily matter where that ball position is, more or less, just because I have that feel in the face to where the stability has really been the problem and not necessarily the hand motion. Yeah, the, the phrase I've used is wherever you start is wherever you stay with wedges. Yeah. So it's learning how to hold that position in place and most people i would say they've been told to keep their stance now i used to remember i taught this yeah. i taught this for the last 13 years yeah. and it's just shifting yeah yeah and so which is okay of course right? so like, it means you're innovating as a teacher right it, and i didn't i don't think i've made anybody worse per se no i just may not have made them as good as i can make correct them. yeah and so this is becoming a staple of my wedge teaching and you think about a child as they're learning and growing when they're eight, nine, ten, that stance could be pretty dang narrow. Yeah. And the boys and girls, you're probably not going to see much variance because you haven't had all the puberty changes that go to the wider hips Good with point. the females. Yeah, yeah. And the men's hips stay narrower. And yeah. Like, so those things start to change, and as they change and evolve, that changes things. Mm. And so now, similarly, so think of a lady with a. This is going to sound terrible, but, like, think of a lady with a larger chest, but still, like, not all women have super wide hips. Not all men have super narrow hips, right? Like, but as a whole, there's there's anatomical differences between sure. the hips. Sure, in everybody, yeah. But there are some women who are, like, very athletically built, very straight form, 
because they have super low body fat, but like their chest is fairly large. Well, they act the same way. That center of gravity is much higher, mm. and so it's unstable. So now that foot width, remember I said the minimum is the hips. Ah. Right? That's the minimum. Yeah. So they may, depending on their build, go a little wider. Mm. I have some men. So um, I don't know if our Uncle Mike is listening to our podcast, but it's Rebecca's uncle, but everybody calls him Uncle Mike. So sure. I call him Uncle Mike. But Uncle Mike might have the broadest shoulders of any human being. I've ever <laughs> and he's only like 6'3", six, 6'4", but his shoulders look like he's eight feet tall. Like his shoulders are so wide. Like if he stands behind you, Jack, you can see his shoulders to the sides of yours. And I'm a pretty broad you guy. You are right. He is a super broad shouldered guy. Well, he's a case where he's kind of like the women with the wide hips. His chipping stance, now that I'm thinking about it and evolving over it, needs to be basically like a normal full seven iron stance so how do you my question to you now is if you're listening to this at home and you're trying to determine what that is what i'm hearing you say is there's no real answer it's just there's a minimum there's the only there's a minimum yes 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 correct there's only a minimum minimum. but at what point do you just kind of say do you just widen it out until you feel like you've got control over that smaller swing or how do you describe like if somebody's listening to this at home how do you start setting up that new stance based on what you're talking about so easy test is going to be start at the minimum width which is going to be the base of your feet needs to be fractionally wider like just a tiny bit of that eiffel tower look in your legs and if we say the base of your hip joint we're meaning like where your leg meets your hip like the ball and socket that right, is in right your where hip. that ball is like if you were to press down in there you can kind of feel that i don't know what the anatom- yeah Tate, what's our what's Tate, our what's the What's the attachment in the hip on the front side, whatever muscle or tendon that is, that you can feel, like if you're thinner, you can feel it like attached right there on the front. Yeah, your groin muscles there. That's your uh, psoas, your... Yeah, I mean, it's that whole quad, like, all your, I mean, there's a lot of leg muscles. (laughs) There's a lot of attachments there. It's a very complex part of the body. (laughs) He's like, which one are you talking about? Yeah, Yeah. which of the eight are you talking about? So it's going to be, like, if you can feel your your hip bone on the side there, yeah. you're probably going to want to be at least that wide, if not slightly wider than that. So at the very minimum, if you draw a line from the center of your ankle through the center of your thigh, that should be minimum vertical. shouldn't have any, not a degree inward turn. So that's the minimum. I would even garner to go slightly outside that where your legs look slightly angled like a wider base of a, of a high-rise building. That's the minimum. Start hitting shots there. Assuming you can, con- you have a proper movement, right? So at least close to a proper movement. Hit a number of shots there, then try to widen it a little bit. There's going to be a place at which you lose control of solidness of contact again. At that point, you've hit your max. Unless you're talking more of a full shot. But sure. if you're staying inside of 50 yards, then... There's going to come a place where if you get it too wide, you're no longer going to be able to control contact as well. So, like, for Uncle Mike, he might be going, okay, I started at that minimum. Like, man, I'm getting pretty far out here, and I still haven't hit it solid yet. Oh, now I hit it solid. 
So there's more variables. Where's the ball go? How much weight do you set forward? Where are your hands relative to your chin? Like there's a lot more variables, but the piece that's changing in my teaching philosophy is there's a minimum width at which that stance should be for your hips. Would it be fair to say that regardless of who you are or what your build is, you need to have a you need to build that triangle that has the wide base at the bottom and then tapers up into your hips. That's correct. So you need to have it doesn't need to be a lot. I'm not correct, talking like correct. you shouldn't have a 10-degree angle. That's yeah, too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be just barely. Gotcha. And we did that with Scott, and that cleaned up that contact, and he felt the stability regain. I could see his weight in his feet all of a sudden transfer the way we want. Bang. When we're Even with the longer wedge shots, like 50, 60, 70. Is that something that when he goes off of Bermuda again, he's still going to keep that philosophy? Absolutely. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. So there may be, like, if it's super wet. But even then, like... I was thinking, if it's super wet, then you need that stance narrower and the weight more forward. I was like, well, now you're unstable again. Yeah. And so, no, that's not it. Maybe it's just the ball moves. So, the piece that I'm having to be okay with, like, all right, I've changed that piece of my teaching philosophy. What else does that require me to change? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that may require me to be more of a floating ball position, at least when it comes to wedges. But the one thing that stays the same is wherever you start your weight, it needs to stay there. That's correct. That's so, unchanging. So uh, just takeaways as we end this podcast here is that you always want your base to be wider than your hip joint. It has to be at least at. the same. At least the same, if not wider. And wherever your weight starts, it has to finish there. Mm -hmm. And it honestly has to stay there. Right. Yep. It can rotate. Correct. But it has to stay. It has to stay in the place where you set it. Yep. That's correct. So those are the two things that no you would say. No up and down. Correct. No left and right. No forward and back. Just rotation. Just rotation, and some arm swing. Would you say that those two are like the guiding principles for you right now? Yeah, for right now, those are the those are the two like non-negotiables for okay. wedges. Cool. Um, so well, hope you guys learned something new. That was cool. Yeah. So you're kind of catching me as that's changing, but it came through a group I didn't expect it to come through. Well, and Which I is think, super cool. Like, I, I think, I'm teaching something from my ladies' yeah. class beginners to one of my tour players. Which is which is crazy to tie this whole episode together is you were, we were talking earlier about a lot of teachers won't run the gamut between beginners and all the way up to the tour players. But what we're learning here is that if you're able to do that and you're willing to Listen. tell yourself that it's not always how it's always been done – you can start to learn something and then start right. to innovate off of that. It's super cool, man. Which is what is what? That's also where BPN, OP, and POA came from as well. Right. It's just like asking the question like, wait, why don't we just like test this out? Sometimes you have to be curious and sometimes you have to take a break from all the noise to really understand what you're trying to and do. We're tying both episodes enjoy the together, wonder. baby. Enjoy the wonder. Enjoy the wonder. Cool. So. Well, uh, yeah, that's awesome. Scott, thanks a lot for that. That's uh that's cool, man, and I think that's something that I'll, everybody who's listening can implement in uh, in their wedges. So from uh, Scott, Tate, and Jack, y'all, thanks so much for watching. Please uh, share this podcast with your friend who sucks at wedges. We all have that. We all have that friend that fats their wedges, that thins their wedges. Send this to your friend who sucks at their wedges. Uh, they will thank you. So from Scott, Jack, and Tate in here at, uh, in the studio at Franklin Bridge, remember to like, subscribe, follow us on YouTube, Apple Music, and Spotify, Amazon, wherever you guys are listening to this. Thank you all so much for supporting the pod. We'll see you on the next one. Peace. There's one more.